Oh, no, Lord. Is this another revelation? Oh, no. This one. Wait a second. This doesn't, this doesn't look like the last revelation. You're, you're really here, aren't you? Real people. What are you doing here on Patmos? What are you doing here on this? Well, at one point, I might have said God forsaken island. But God is even here, isn't he? But why are you here? Were you sent here as exiles and prisoners as well? Did the emperor Domitian send you here as prisoners? You don't look like exiles. Did he make you wear those funny clothes to embarrass you? (laughs) No, you don't look like exiles. Well, you're not here on vacation. No one comes to this rock covered in volcanic ash just to be here for their pleasure. Your clothes aren't wet, so I guess you're not shipwrecked here. You came here on purpose. You came here because you meant to come here. Nobody comes to Patmos on purpose. I know why you came. I know why you came. You came to see John. You came to see John, the son of Zebedee today, didn't you? You came looking for John. Well, you found him. I am John, son of Zebedee, sent to this island for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know why you've come. My ears may not be as good as they used to be, but I hear things. My eyes may not see like they did when they were young, but I see things. I know why you've come. I know what's being said. Some 70 years after those days, I know what they're saying, that maybe he didn't really rise from the dead. I know why you've come. You've come because I'm the last one left. (laughs) You know that. Oh, I'm not the last one who's a follower of Jesus. There's many of us now. (laughs) But I'm the last of the 12. I'm the last of those that Jesus chose to follow him. I don't know what happened to everyone, but I've heard some things. Maybe some of it's true. Maybe all of it's true. I don't know. But there's none left as far as I can tell. You know how they died? You know their stories? Peter went to Rome to preach. He was crucified. Upside down, they said that Peter didn't want to be crucified like his Lord, so they, he, he made them crucify him upside down. And I heard that, and I thought, oh, it's just like Peter. Right up unto his death, telling people what to do. And his brother Andrew, Andrew, they said, went to the land of the man-eaters, 
was killed and crucified there. Matthew. Matthew traveled all around Asia and Africa. Eventually, he uh, converted uh, some people in Africa, and they, uh, they didn't like it too much. And Matthew was, he'd tell the king of Ethiopia that he wasn't living a life that God wanted him to live. The king didn't take that too kindly. Sounded like Matthew to me. Matthew is always one who could tell you the rules. Uh, you could take the man out of the tax collector's booth, but sometimes can't take the tax collector out of the man. Stabbed in the back by one of the king's henchmen. James. James, my brother. Our father Zebedee would have been proud of him. He was one of the first killed by the sword of Herod. Died never leaving Jerusalem. I miss my brother. There was the other James that was with us too, Alphaeus' boy. He lived uh, the longest, I guess, except for me. He was still alive up until just before I was sent here. What I heard, one of the last words I got before being sent here was that uh, they had stoned him. Must have, been, uh, must have been in his 80s, maybe near 90 years old, and they stoned him. And there was Matthias. And Matthias, who was uh, there with us all along, but not one of the original 12, God had chosen Matthias to replace Judas Iscariot. Matthias went and preached, and uh, I don't know for sure what had happened to him, but they say he might have been uh, crucified. Some say he was skinned alive and then beheaded. Bartholomew, <laughs> Bart, he's always pretty quiet. And he uh, also killed and crucified. Philip, Philip went to Africa and converted the uh, wife of a Roman proconsul. Only thing is her husband didn't take too kindly to it. And he had Philip killed. Thaddeus was crucified in Edessa. And there was Simon, not Simon Peter, but Simon, who was part of the zealots, crucified. Then there was Thomas. Tom. I think he went the farthest of anyone. He went east as far as anyone had taken the gospel. They say that he was killed by four spears that went through him. That just leaves old John, the last one left, and that's why you've come, isn't it? You've come because I know the questions that people are asking. You've come because you have that big question that's, that's going around, that big question of can, 
reasonable, rational people believe in the resurrection. You've come because you want to talk to someone who was there, someone who saw what happened. I know what you're thinking. I knew there would be people that have their doubts and objections. I wrote a whole account of the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection because I knew people would doubt and I wanted people to believe. I wrote a whole account of it. But still, I know that people doubt. They want to know, did it really happen? Can rational, reasonable people believe in the resurrection? I know you're living here some 60, 70 years later, and you think back then we thought people jumped up out of graves all the time. Well, we weren't as dumb as you think we were. I mean, we may not have known much, but I'll tell you one thing we knew is we knew what death looked like. We knew when a person was dead and when a person was alive. And we also knew that when a person was dead, they didn't generally get up and walk around. That would be highly unusual. Jesus was dead. If you're wondering if you can believe in the resurrection, I can give you a few reasons to believe. Now, I can give you a few reasons to believe this morning. First reason I think of it, believe in the resurrection of Jesus, is because of his burial in the empty tomb. His burial in the empty tomb. It's probably the greatest evidence I can think of. See, he was dead when he came off that cross. I don't know if you know anything about Romans and the way they crucify, but they don't generally take living people off crosses. See, what would happen if even the person who had been crucified was a little bit alive, they'd take a club and they'd break his legs to make sure that he died before they took him off the cross. They didn't break Jesus' legs. They didn't have to. It was a soldier. I was there at the foot of the cross when they shoved a spear into his side and blood and water came out and they knew he was dead before they took him off the cross. They buried him. They buried him in a tomb of a man named Joseph of Arimathea. That might mean nothing to you. But most people that died on crosses were just thrown in common graves. And if that was the case, maybe you can argue that we don't know where Jesus' body is, but not Jesus. Everyone who wrote an account wrote that he was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. But here's the strange thing. Joseph of Arimathea was in the Sanhedrin. He was on the ruling council that crucified Jesus. Why would we want to include him? If we were going to pick someone and make something up, why would we make it up that one of the Sanhedrin, he was buried in one of their tombs? And yet that's the way it happened. He was buried in the tomb of a Sanhedrin. Joseph of Arimathea had this family grave and So they laid Jesus' body in it, and then they rolled this giant stone. See, the stone was up on a little bit of a hill and a slope, and they would pull out the stop, and the stone would roll down the hill in front of the tomb entrance, and it would be sealed. 
Jesus' dead body buried in the tomb. Of course, you didn't say there. See, it's not just the burial. It's the empty tomb you must consider. And I know what some people have said. (laughs) I know that some people have said, well, maybe he wasn't all dead. Maybe he was just mostly dead. Maybe he was just mostly dead, and then he woke up. I'll pretend you're as smart as you look, and you're making this argument. Let's just pretend and consider this argument for a moment. He's mostly dead for three days. He hasn't eaten for almost four days since the Passover supper. He's been whipped within an inch of his life. He's been crucified with nails through his hands and his feet. He's had a spear shoved into his side. He's lost so much blood. And yet three days later, he wakes up. Not only gets up, but somehow from the inside of a tomb, rolls a stone back uphill and then overpowers the guards that have been placed at the tomb whose only job is to make sure the dead body stays in the tomb. And then he goes and walks around Jerusalem. Highly unlikely. Seems easier to me to believe in a resurrection. (laughs) But then there's this other rumor that was started by the guards that we disciples had stolen his body. Now I know, looking at me, you might think, well, he's so strong, he could have moved the rock. But did you ever meet those guys? We were just, we were a few fishermen, tax collector, and we were a ragtag bunch, not one soldier in the lot of us. Overpowered guards, moved the stone. I mean, the night that... uh, The night they came to arrest Jesus, I remember it. Peter takes out a sword and he goes to, and he cuts off the ear of one of the guards. You think he was aiming for his ear? (laughs) Peter was trying to take his head off. He just ended up with the ear, but of course later Peter said, I meant to do that. (laughs) We weren't soldiers, we weren't trained. We're just a group of guys. But even if we had, even if somehow we had overpowered the guards, even if somehow we had moved the stone, even if somehow we had taken the body, you don't think that one of those guys that I just told you how they died, you don't think that just one of them would have produced the body of Jesus instead of having their own body killed? You don't think just one of them would have said, would have given it up, that it was a lie, that it wasn't true to save their own body? There are people who will die for a lie. There's no question about that. But it's a lie they believe to be true. There are not many people who will die for a lie when they know it's a lie. Maybe one, maybe two, but 11, 12, they all knew it was a lie and they still left their homes. 
they still left their families to travel all around the world to tell people about a lie and then to be killed for that lie? You don't think one would have said, no, I'm not going along with it. The only reason you do that is because the tomb is empty and you know what happened and you cannot deny it. Now, the burial in the empty tomb is a reason that reasonable, rational people can believe in the resurrection. And you have to explain it some other way. You have to come up with some other explanation for it. I think the best explanation is that he wasn't there and he rose again. I saw him. But the second evidence, <laughs> you wanted more evidence, the second evidence is the eyewitnesses. I mean, I wasn't the only one that saw him. Paul, in his, in his letters, he writes all about people who saw him. He writes and lists names. And there were over 500 people. He wrote those letters within 10, 20, 30 years of the life of Jesus. Those people were still alive. You could go ask them if they saw him. You could go ask them if what Paul wrote was true. And if it wasn't, then Paul's letters, my account wouldn't have survived any longer than yesterday's edition of the Roman Times. Nobody would believe it. It would be proved false quickly. But there were eyewitnesses, people who saw it. Paul himself, he went from a man who was persecuting the church to a man who gave his life for Jesus doesn't do that for a lie. The other thing about the eyewitnesses that's interesting, I don't know if you read my account that I wrote, but the first people that saw Jesus, <laughs> you know who it was? Women. <laughs> Mary, some other women. And you think, well, why is that a problem? You're so progressive today and understand all that. Well, back then, you couldn't even have a woman testify in court. Her testimony wouldn't have even been admissible in a court of law. And I got to put down that women were the first people that saw him alive. They're the first witnesses. You think if I was making this up, I would have put that in there? But that's the way it happened. Jesus revealed himself to Mary. So that's the way I put in there. Mary saw the eyewitnesses. Lives were changed. But another reason, a third reason you can believe because of the birth and the growth of the church. You know how long it takes a religious movement to spread? You know how long it takes people to change? <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm Jewish, and I don't know what you know about the Jewish people, but we're a faithful people. Now, some may call it stubborn, <laughs> but we're a faithful people. For thousands of years, we stayed faithful to our God through slavery through oppression, 
through captivity in foreign countries. We kept our laws. We served our God. I remember uh, Daniel, reading about Daniel as a little boy when he was taken captive and he refused to eat the food of the king because of his conscience as a Jewish man. And he knew he was risking being killed and yet he refused. I remember reading about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said, you can throw us in a fiery furnace, but we won't bow down to any human as God. We're a faithful people. We stay faithful through the years. We stay faithful through captivity. We stay faithful no matter what you may do to us. We stay faithful to our God. How do you explain these faithful people who came to Jerusalem to celebrate a Jewish feast, the Feast of Pentecost, and Peter gets up and preaches? And he gets up and preaches on that day a mere 50 days after Jesus had risen from the dead. How do you explain those faithful people who served God all of their lives, who would never even think of bowing down to any human? Those faithful people on that day, 3,000 of them came to believe and worship Jesus as Lord. This was no small thing. They were brought up in the Jewish faith. They would go to synagogue. They'd celebrate Passover. And in that moment, they decided that Jesus was the one that they would worship. And then within a mere week, there's nearly 10,000 people that are worshiping and serving what? A carpenter from Nazareth? Jewish man from an obscure village in an obscure part of the empire. A crucified man. The Romans crucified some 30,000 men. And this one, this one changes the world. Uh, The birth of the church. How do you explain that in every Roman city by this time there is some gathering some group of people that worship Jesus. A lie? You must explain that. My only explanation is that the resurrection is true. That's because of Jesus and what he did. But fourth and finally, the burial in the empty tomb the eyewitnesses, the growth of the church. Fourth and finally are experiences of the people. My own experience and the experience of others. I can tell you from my perspective, I loved Jesus and he loved us. He taught us, he fed us, he protected us. I was there when he calmed the sea. We were in a boat. I'm probably no more comfortable any place in the world than in a fishing boat. Grew up there all my life. Grew up on the sea, make my living from the sea. But we were on the boat this one night and this storm came up. And it's a storm like I'd never seen before. 
and we rode and we tried, but we couldn't get out of it. We cried out to Jesus and he stood up and he said, peace. And the storm was still. This was the Jesus that I served. But let me tell you this. He told us he would die and rise again. And if he lied about that, then everything else he said wasn't going to be worth anything to me. If he lied about that, then he couldn't have been some good teacher. He would have been a fake and a liar, a con artist. If he lied about that, then everything else he said would have been worthless to me. Because I would have made him a liar. (laughs) See, when he died, we had forgotten some of his words. We thought it was over. Peter went back out fishing, and we thought the gig was up. Been a good run, but it's over. But he came back, just like he said he would. See, I had a good life planned out in front of me. My father had some fishing boats. I was going to earn my living on the Sea of Galilee. If God was gracious to me, I'd raise up my sons to do the same thing after me. Why would I leave that life? End up on this God-forsaken island, nearly God-forsaken. End up here, boiled in hot oil, nearly killed, knowing that at any moment I might be killed for for preaching Jesus. Why would I or any of us do that if it was a lie? You'll need to come up with your explanation if you don't choose to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. For me, my life has been changed because of his resurrection. For me, there's no other, there's no other more powerful witness than Jesus' faithfulness to his word. <laughs> you remind me of someone Coming here today, you remind me of my friend Tom. (laughs) See, Tommy, he wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared to us. (laughs) But we told him, we said, you know, Tom, this is great news. Jesus rose from the dead just like he said he would. And Tom said, I don't believe it. (laughs) Doubt it. Said, no, no, he he did. He appeared to us. We saw him. He's risen from the dead. And Tom said, I doubt it. And then just in that moment, Jesus appeared to us all. And Tom was there. You should have seen the look on his face. (laughs) I didn't know what Jesus would do. Was he going to be mad at him? Was he going to chastise him for doubting? I should have known that's not the Jesus we know. He simply said, Tom, look at the marks in my hands. Put your hands in the marks in my side. It's me. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, Thomas, because you've seen, you believe. But blessed are those who believe without seeing.
I guess, uh, I guess that's you. Because I wondered in that moment, Jesus, what do you mean? Blessed are those who believe, who don't see. I mean, you're right here. Let's go out. Everyone can see. Let's go show Herod and Pilate. Let's go show the emperor what it looks like. A man who was dead and crucified and risen from the dead. You'll be made king in a moment. Well, that wasn't his plan. He said, no, not right now. He has to leave. He'll be back, he said. But he said he had to leave. He said he was going to prepare a place for us. That one day he'd come back for us. Lord, come quickly. So then those words made sense. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. And so you come here and you come to see one who saw Jesus. But I tell you that Jesus said, you're blessed. You're blessed when you believe even without seeing. There's the evidence that I have for the resurrection. My question for you is, what will you do with it? If you don't believe it, that's fine. But you need to come up with another reasonable explanation for an empty tomb, for people who said they saw him and witness accounts that survived from that day, for the birth of a church that not only grew then but is growing now, for people's lives who are changed no matter what, socioeconomic place they're in, no matter how rich they are or how poor they are, king or pauper, Jew or Gentile, male or female, lives changed. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then you come up with your own reasonable, rational explanation for that. But if like me, even though you don't see you find that the most plausible explanation is that Jesus did rise from the dead, then you must decide what to do. Because if that's true, then everything else he said was true too. God bless you.